Amen. Good evening, Salt Company. Last Salt Company of the semester. It seems like just a couple weeks ago that we kicked off at Traditions, but we're here now. So hopefully you guys are either slowing down finals or people have a ton next week. I was always the guy that had a ton during the week, but I know some of you guys might be going home this weekend. So uh, let's go Matthew chapter 5 tonight. Um, who signed up for conference? Show of hands. That's good. All right, anybody that has their hands down, we got, you got to talk to me after. We got, we got something we need to work through. Um, so a lot of you guys have probably wondered, I don't know, maybe you haven't, maybe you've, you're just a biblical scholar, why are we called the Salt Company? There are so many different other names that we could have, like, I don't know, discipleship something, or you know, just Anthem College Ministry or something cool like that, not as cool. Uh, but why are we called the Salt Company? What's the deal with that? Well, tonight, uh, we're going to talk through that a little bit and kind of understand why we're called the Salt Company, why the Salt Network exists, things like that. Um, But what I want to do first is I just want to read the text before I start talking about it, because I want you to hear it from the Lord first. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, we're just looking at four verses this evening. Verse 13, Jesus, this is him in the Sermon on the Mount talking to the crowds, the disciples, and some other people that are with them. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Some of you guys know, if you spend some time around me, I am a barbecue fanatic. I love barbecue. Um, some of the greatest barbecue places. Kansas City, uh, Casey Joe's. They named the Z-Man after me, fun fact. Not true. Uh, St. Louis people, Sugar Fire. Okay. Oh, somebody Boo. It's okay? All right. I shouldn't have said that. Um, and then Jack and Luke. You, did you guys go to Big Ed's this summer? All right, whatever. The barbecue place I told you about? Okay. I know it was awesome. Yeah, best place I've ever been to. All right, anyways, you guys can debate after. Jack and Luke went to a barbecue place up where I grew up. Uh, so I, I love barbecue food. Um, pulled pork, brisket. That'll be my last meal before the Lord takes me from this earth. Um, but I don't get to dabble in actually making it super often anymore because apartment housing doesn't really lend itself to having like a smoker and just a ton of time to just like sit around with a cup of coffee at four in the morning and get the get the brisket rolling. But uh, this summer, throw up the picture, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot, okay? I made some dry rub wings at my parents' house. Uh, It's a little cayenne pepper, Dijon mustard, Zach Everly special right here. If you want to experience this, come over to my place sometime. I'd be happy to introduce you. But these dry rub wings that I made, um, so good. Uh, I'm going to get distracted thinking about it. Um, so dry rub wings, right? The process in which you make it is you gotta, you got to put the seasonings on it. So this particular uh, variety has uh, 10 seasonings and two different binders. So Dijon mustard and then a touch of mayo. That's the hint for people that are curious. So all that gets thrown onto the wings, they get put in a bag and then put in a refrigerator overnight for upwards of 12 hours, depending on how 
rich you want the flavor to be. And so you're putting the seasonings on, and what is beautiful about these wings is that after you've let them marinate and you put them on the grill, you put the hickory chunks in the grill over charcoal, because if you do propane, you're a freak fool. Um, it's not how you actually grill. You've got to get the charcoal. So you put the hickory chips in there, and you let that bad boy uh, just smoke and grill, and it gets all the good flavor in there. And then every single bite that you eat is just the flavor from the salt and the, the seasoning and the Dijon mustard and all that just penetrates the whole entire wing, and every single bite is just as glorious as the first. Amen? Amen. So every bite's rich in flavor. It's a memorable meal. My dad still raves about it because I'm his favorite middle son. And these wings are fantastic. But the reason why they're fantastic is because the seasoning has had time to marinate and to permeate every square centimeter of this wing. And it's a memorable meal because every single bite is rich in flavor. And there's such a way that Jesus calls us to do this same thing. That the gospel, our principle for tonight is this. That when the gospel penetrates your heart, you then become salt and light to permeate the earth with the gospel. That when Jesus has so grabbed a hold of who you are, your passions, your desires, your time, your talent, your treasure... When Jesus has captured the core of who you are, it's permeated your entire body such that Jesus is what you think about, it's what you talk about, it's how you spend your time, it's how you spend your money, it's how you make relationships, it's how you invest with people. When that's penetrated and got to the core of who you are, you then are called to go permeate and spread that gospel flavor, that gospel goodness the, the love of Christ to an unbelieving world. And so tonight, the first thing we're going to look at very simply is salt, that we are salt for a flavorless and decaying world. We are salt for a flavorless and decaying world. Verse 13, let's read it again. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt has a lot of uses, but the three primary ones that I want to hit on tonight are first, that salt is used as a flavor enhancer. You put salt on, on, on raw meat to expose flavor, to give flavor to the meat. Secondly, it's used as a preservative. We don't see this as often today because we have refrigerators and, and freezers and all that, but back in the olden days... They used to just pack meat with salt all over it because bacteria cannot live in high salinity contents. So bacteria, or I'm sorry, salt was used as a preservative to preserve meat and vegetables and food. And thirdly, salt creates thirst. Many of you guys experienced this. The Lay's potato chips. You eat a potato chip, you immediately need a drink of water. So salt in your mouth creates thirst, which has to be quenched by some sort of water or liquid. And so what Jesus is calling his followers to in this text is that as the salt of the earth, we're called to bring flavor to a world that is bland and tasteless. That we're called to be a people who bring joy into a joyous, joyless world. And that we can have salt with one another. We can have peace with one another, with our neighbors, with our family. We can help and assist through the power of the Holy Spirit to redeem and restore the parts of the world that the gospel has not yet reached. 
that we get to be a permeating flavor, a gospel influence to a world that is dull and decaying. And secondly, Christians, we're called to preserve the good things that God has created and orchestrated in this world. Preservers of peace and love and joy and friendship. Preservers of of biblical um, marriage between one man, one woman, and a covenant relationship for life. A biblical worldview of gender and sexual identity. Of sanctity before marriage and purity of heart, mind, and body. In a world that's dead and decaying, Christ has commissioned us to be a preservative influence on the world that is dead and decaying because of the sin that has first pervaded it. We're not getting caught up in other worldly things, but rather we're preserving as salt the goodness and holiness or the the set-apartness of a follower of Jesus contrasted to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And lastly, we're called in many ways to leave in a positive sense, a salty taste in people's mouth. That man, when they interact with you, there's something that you said, there's a way in which you live your life that causes them to to think again, to, to watch the way that you live your life in such a way that there's a thirst that they get eternally that cannot be quenched by anyone else than Jesus himself, who is the living water. It can't be quenched. It's a deep spiritual need that we're helping people expose when they see a follower of Jesus actually following Jesus and doing it within a body of people. But verse 13 also reveals that salt is no longer useful if it's not salty. That's what the value of salt is, is that it's used to season. It is salty and it's added to different things. It's only good for being cast out onto the floor to be trampled on, and this is indeed what they did in Jesus' time. The temple floors were brick, and when it rained or got wet, it was slick, and so when salt had lost its taste, they just put the salt on the ground, similar to kind of what we do in the wintertime, so people wouldn't slip. There's two other spots in the Gospels where Jesus reiterates this. It's worth looking at. Mark chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus says, salt is good, here he is again. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. So here Jesus is likening salt to peace, that we can exist with one another. We're flavoring. We're preserving these things. And again, in Luke 14, verse 34, Jesus reiterates again, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So Jesus is saying to have salt amongst yourselves. Be people as Christians who are preserving what the Bible teaches, preserving goodness, preserving purity, preserving joy, peace, love. These things that Jesus has brought to an unbelieving world as the world rejects these truths and claims their own pathways to life, Jesus says that we are called to hold them tightly to listen to the preached word as taught, to be in our Bibles, to know what Jesus actually says, to be so in tune with the voice of the Savior and so in step with the Spirit that we then begin to boldly proclaim the life and the flavor of the gospel to a world that is dull and decaying. And then may people thirst and wonder and ask questions about why we live our lives and the way that we live it, that we would stand out amongst the world in different ways that then is a doorway to share what we've experienced, that the gospel's permeated us 
and I just want you to have a part of it. But salt doesn't stay in the bottle. It doesn't stay in the salt shaker. We don't just stare at salt and talk about the great things that it does. We take it out of the bottle and disperse it onto a meat piece or a chicken wing or whatever, okay? So spread over the earth. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And secondly, in this text, we see that we're called to be light. Light for a dark and lost world. Light for a dark and lost world. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus continues on. So he said, we're the salt of the earth, but now we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So again, Jesus introduces two similar images. The first is a city set on a hill. And the second is a lamp that's put on a stand. As I read verse 14, it's like, can a city on a hill really be hidden? And the obvious answer in the text is no. It can't be. It's, it's meant to be seen. Jesus has used this imagery specifically because God has called his followers to be set like a city on a hill, a beacon of gospel truth, a hill that isn't covered up, but rather is, is open and boldly proclaiming the good news that Jesus has come as King and Lord to save a lost, dark, broken world. And that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, his ministry didn't end when he ascended, but we worship and follow a living Savior who is one day coming back to take his followers with him. And the love of Christ and the blood of Christ is still saving and reaching lost people. Similarly, with a lamp, you let the light shine. You don't cover up a lamp with a basket in this case or a bucket. You use a lamp to illuminate, to expose the darkness, to powerfully light up a room or space. It removes the darkness. And as we saw earlier in this semester, Jesus himself is the light of the world in John chapter 8, and he's exposed our darkness first. But he is the light that we share and the light that we reflect. If we haven't first received that light from Christ, we can't be expected to reflect it back to the world that we're trying to reach. So put your light on a stand. Let your light shine brightly. Let the light of the gospel permeate from you as it's gotten into you. Boldly be a witness in the world for Christ. But in verse 13, he also says, sorry, verse 15, he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. There's a lot of ways in which we attempt or choose, in many cases, to hide our light. And here are six ways that I think we often attempt to hide our light. The first is just being quiet when we should speak. In this world, there's a ton of people who just have their own truth and their own thoughts and their own feelings and desires and things like that. This first one, being quiet when we should speak, that God has given us a mouth to use uh, to build up one another and to call out sin and to encourage one another and to, to help one another remain on the narrow path that Jesus has given us to walk on. And so when we are quiet, when, when there's sin that's apparent in someone's life, and there's repentance that needs to happen, and we don't say anything, we're doing a disservice to a brother and sister in Christ. The second one is just going along with the crowd. This is so easy to do uh, on a college campus and in the world that we just kind of go along with what the culture is saying we should be doing, that 
sometimes I wonder if we're so inundated with the cultural waters that we don't really, we're not in our Bibles enough to know what Jesus actually says is true versus what the culture is actually saying we should be following. There's a lot of things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of things that Jesus teaches in the Bible, that Paul teaches in the Bible that are incredibly countercultural, that may be offensive, that maybe aren't politically correct to an unbelieving world, but Jesus has called us to stand on the rock of himself and to look to Scripture and not go along with the crowd. The third is denying the light. Now, when we have a gospel opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and the ways that he's penetrated our heart and our mind and our desires, and we just chalk it up to, I have a really, uh, I just have a really great, like, buoyant personality. I'm just kind of a joyful person by nature, and we don't use that as an opportunity to say, no, the light that's in me is because of the Jesus that's in me, and he's first permeated me, and I, I want him to permeate and penetrate your life. When we deny Christ openly to an unbelieving world, we're hiding the light of Jesus in us. The fourth is letting sin dim our light. When we put up with respectable sins like anger and anxiety, when we put up with respectable sins of, of lust that we don't tell anybody about, when we put up with just these kind of roots of bitterness that are in our hearts, when we let sin reign in our bodies, we don't ruthlessly root it out, and we're not consistently confessing and repenting of that to one another and to the Lord, we're hiding our light. Number five is similar to number three, in many ways, not explaining our light to others. That when people ask you how your weekend was, and you just kind of glance over Sunday morning, that's an opportunity to explain how you use your time and say, man, I, I just want to invite you into this. We don't explain the light that's in us as Jesus has called us to be in this text. It's a joyful command that we get to walk out in obedience because our debt was paid on the cross. We, if we don't explain that to people, how will they know? One of my least favorite phrases in Christendom is preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's like saying feed the hungry and if necessary, use food. We have to use our mouths to proclaim the good news of Jesus to an unbelieving world when they question how we live our life. And lastly, just ignoring the needs of others. That we, we exist in a body of Christ. We exist with a, a family of believers. And we, we just turn a blind eye to a brother and sister in need financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally. We're doing a disservice to one another. And we ignore the needs of others. That's not how Jesus calls us to interact with one another. And this is not exhaustive by any means, but it's a start in a, a way that many of you guys may need to search your hearts tonight for ways in which these may be things that you do, perhaps consistently or from time to time. Good Salt Company at Mizzou, God is calling us to be a beacon of truth to an unbelieving world. We're called to be the light of the world. We're not going to cover up or water down the gospel, but we're going to unleash it in the power of the Holy Spirit in word and in deed, in all that we do. Lastly, verse 16, just living in general as salt and light. What's kind of the goal and purpose? Living in general as salt and light. Verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice that last part. 
Yes, it's let your light shine so that others would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The goal of living as salt and light is not to bolster our own spirituality. The goal of living as salt and light is to reflect and mirror Jesus, to have a chance to show and tell an unbelieving world about the person of joy. His name is Jesus. And the question is, has Jesus so captured your affections? Has Jesus so captured your attention and permeated into your heart to such a degree that people question how you live, question the ways in which you can cope with the stress and anxiety in your life when things build up? How are you able, Salt Company student, to find hope in suffering, to live for more than just the party scene and the next hookup and hope and suffering and the next college degree? How are you able to look at the things in the world with a different perspective than others in such a way that when people ask you, you don't say, yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly all about me. Just look at me, but look at Christ who's in me. The Christ that's permeated my life, that He is goodness. He is love. He is mercy. He can forgive your sins. He can take your guilt. He can take your shame. And not only can He, but He wants to. So often we come into church and we think about Jesus as some cosmic bully, and we don't have this reality in our minds that, oh man, if Jesus knew what I did, friends, He already knows. And He doesn't push you away. He says, I want you. In your sin, and in your rebellion, and in your shame, as the world tries to push you to the back corner and just give you a laundry list of things that you've done wrong, Jesus' arms are open wide, and he says, I want you. And for those of you that have not experienced that tonight, that the evil within you, the sin within you, the rebellion within you, Paul tells us that for all we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He lived the life that you couldn't live, and he died the death that you deserved so he could have you. God has sovereignly wooed you to him, Christian. And non-believer, Jesus is waiting with his arms open. He wants to be your closest friend and companion. He wants to be where your fullness of joy is found. He wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And my question to you is, would you just let him in? To the folks in the room who've been walking with the Lord for a while, when people interact with you, do people encounter Jesus through you by the way that you live your life? As you go throughout campus, as you go to your job, as you interact with your unbelieving roommates, do people encounter Jesus through you by the way that you live your life? The way that you spend your money? The way that you spend your time? The people that you hang out with? What you talk about? What you watch on TV? The ways in which you pursue your boyfriend or girlfriend? Do people encounter and see Jesus in you by the way that you live your life? Does it look any different than the unbelieving world. And so again, it's like, I mean, how do we be salt and light in the world? And like, think for all of you, think of the opportunities that you have in the next few weeks. A lot of you guys are packing up, going back home for what's like the longest break on planet Earth. 
And there's going to be so many opportunities for you to actually work this out, to be salt and light. Perhaps it's serving and just being intentional with your parents and your siblings, just having intentional conversations, doing the dishes. It's, I mean, it's not like this crazy high bar of like, let's talk systematic theology with your mom and dad, although my mom and I do do that. That's not the bar. It's like, man, just these simple acts of love to your parents. What would it look like for your mom and dad to get home from a long day of work when you've just been vegging on the couch, catching up on whatever show because finals have slapped you in the face, and you say, I'll make dinner tonight to love and serve your parents who have given so much to you. A lot of you freshmen, you're going to come back and your grandparents, your high school friends are going to go, dude, how was your first semester at the zoo? What if it wasn't all about the awkward roommate situation that you had, the weird interaction you had in the sweet bathroom with the guy like that first week, how awkward your RA is, um, that your salt director is a leprechaun, like all these different things, right? What if instead of talking about the different things that happen, like professor's weird, classes are hard, like you can talk about that, but man, what a gospel opportunity. I have a ton of high school friends who are unbelievers, and I did not, please hear me say this, I did not in, high, in college, first and second year, I did not do a good job coming back and being intentional with those men in my life and saying, hey, I'm, I'm involved with the salt company thing, and Jesus is continuing to radically transform my life. And I have a ton of regrets for not pouring into Josiah Davis and Ricky Fugino because they are not walking with Jesus anymore. And they were dear, close friends in high school who I went on mission trips with. And when I left to go to college, I left those friendships at the door. You may very well be the only person in some of your high school friends' lives who are going to have a gospel impact, who are going to say, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to say the hard thing to you because I want you to know Jesus. Many of you, I know you, will be the only Christian in your home at Christmas. What would it look like to be a person of peace at the family dinner table? How will you be a reflection? How will you be salt and light in your family and with your friends in such a way that they want to follow Jesus? I see the way in which you live your life. What do you have that I don't? Can we talk? For all of you, it's going to be getting time with Jesus, just daily letting the light and gospel flavor of Jesus so permeate you that you just continually to daily ooze gospel truth. That all you can think about, all you can meditate on is the good news of Jesus and what he's done for you. Friends, reflect often on the fact that you are justified by faith alone through the grace of Jesus. That you cannot do anything to earn your salvation. And you cannot do anything to unearn it. It's called grace. It's a free gift. Reflect often on the fact that you were justified through that and that Jesus pursued you long before you ever pursued him. Community group leaders, this means giving your CG members a text or a call in a couple weeks, saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, how can I be praying for you? What's been hard? What's been good? What's the Lord been teaching you? Excited to see you at conference. Surrender the time, do the things, this break. Friends, imagine with me for a moment what if God had his total way on Mizzou's campus? What would it look like? If Jesus is who he says he is, which I believe that he is, if the gospel is really true, which I believe that it is, 
What would it look like if God had his total way on our campus? What if the salt and light of Jesus permeated every single inch, every single nook and cranny of Columbia? Jesus is using us. Jesus is using you. He has empowered us as salt and light to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's not on our own strength. Let's be clear. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us. But what would it look like for every member of your family if God had his way with them? Every friend that you're praying to see come to Christ, every sphere of your life, what if God was using you as salt and light to be a beacon of truth for those people? Because I strongly believe that God has very specifically placed each and every one of you with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your roommates to be salt and light. That's why we're called the salt company. It's not about trying to get a huge ministry. It's never once been the hope and prayer but that people would be impacted for gospel change. That God has specifically placed each of you in the places that you are to be salt and light, to show and tell the good news that a Savior has come. and He brings life and joy and peace amidst the chaos. And during this Christmas season, we get to celebrate the good news that the Savior has come and that He is returning. And I want to close tonight with a little activity for us. Like, I, just, I want us to give encouragement where encouragement is due. Paul tells us, for as long as it is today, would we give encouragement to one another? And tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to call out the ways in which we've seen others be salt and light in our lives. The ways that others have been reflecting and mirroring the beauty of Jesus. So over the next few minutes, what I want you guys to do is each of you guys have some cards and pens. I hear the shuffling and see the the pens and cards. What I want you guys to do, just write where you're at in your seats. I just want you to take the next few minutes to write some notes of encouragement to someone. You got two cards, so you could do two people if you wanted to. Write some notes of encouragement to someone who's been salt and light to you and that's impacted you over the course of the semester. Someone who you say, man, I've, I've seen Jesus in you. And you've impacted me because of that. Perhaps it's a C group leader in the way that they've led. Perhaps it's just a friend that maybe you met this past week that's here. A fellow C group member, somebody in an international group. Somebody that's like, man, you have shown the goodness of Jesus to me at some point this semester. And I just want to call that out in you. And I want to write you a very sincere, specific letter nothing crazy, not an essay. It says, hey, thank you. I'm just grateful for our friendship. I'm grateful for the ways that you've shown me the love of Jesus that you've been salt and light to me. And then if you could be so bold after the service, give that card to that person and tell them what you wrote and tell them why to give encouragement where encouragement is due. So I'm going to give you guys a, a good chunk of time, like seven to ten-ish minutes. We're not in a rush tonight. And then after that, what I'm going to have you guys do, it's, it might be a little chaotic, but it's all right. God is good. After you've written your card and you've given it to somebody, if you could grab the chair that you're sitting in and go place it in the back on one of those uh, little rolly carts that Nate's rolling out, that would be marvelous. 
And then we're just going to have one big family, like, close-out worship service up here, not a mosh pit, but uh, yeah, we'll, have a, we'll have a family, we'll all just be kind of standing up here singing our final songs. Um, so does that, does that all make sense? Is that clear? People know what they're doing? Okay. You guys got like seven to ten minutes, so take some time. If you need to pull off and pray with somebody, uh, you know, please do what you need to do during this time. Um, but yeah, I just want to give encouragement where encouragement is due.